Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 220, Rob Sturrock shares how he became a fatherhood, childcaring and gender equality advocate, which led to writing his book, Man Raises Boy. We discuss ongoing barriers to gender equality for both men and women. Plus, Rob shares his top tips for men wanting to change the role they play within their family. This is Rob's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Yeah, absolutely. No, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Amelia. And so before we dive into your story and the journeys that you're going to share with us about Man Raises Boy and other conversations associated with that, I'd like to get to know you a little bit and allow our listeners to get to know you a bit. And to do so, I'm hoping you might be able to explain for us an item of significance and that's something that tells us a little bit about you and a little bit about your journey. I've been thinking long and hard about this one I've got a fairly probably a fairly mundane one but it kind of relates quite nicely to the book because it's about sort of um, my journey in fatherhood so I've actually got my house keys uh, for Father's Day my daughter with my wife drew this lovely picture and then my wife being very creative with craft actually shrunk it in the oven so the little pictures can fit on my key ring um, and I carry them around and she did a tiny little photo of actual daddy um, which is just a little blob with arms and legs and a smiley face. Uh, I love it, actually. It's just one of those things, you know, it's always in my hand as I'm going in and out of the house. So have something that I know that they've done just for me is kind of really special. And it's kind of yeah, emblematic of fatherhood, right? You know, there's so much special stuff in the everyday kind of routinized, mundane sort of parts of life. And it is a lovely lead-in to this conversation around fatherhood and the journey that you've been on to become an, you're an advocate for fatherhood, uh, you know, and child caring gender equality. And obviously that's a topic that's dear to my heart with the documentary series Transcending the Gender Narrative, which unfortunately I didn't come across your book and profile until after after we'd filmed for that series, but we did get to include you in that, the recent uh, Zoom online session for the Chartered Accountants. But just would love to know more about what your journey was and how what led you to become a fatherhood advocate. I mean, for most of my adult life, the thought of kids or being a dad terrified me. You know, I, I, I'm an only child. Uh, I never did any babysitting. I don't have a big family, so I wasn't someone that was around a lot of babies or around a lot of younger siblings or cousins. And yeah, look, it was always a very daunting prospect the thought of one day being a parent. Um, so it was a surprise to me really to, to think a few years ahead and now I'm this sort of very passionate advocate for fatherhood. And uh, look, I've loved fatherhood. It's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, I guess the advocacy part, I kind of stumbled into it because as I was thinking about becoming a dad and wanting to be very actively involved in my kids' lives, uh, I was just looking around for, you know, literature and dads sharing their experiences and you know how dads go about being actively involved and there's just not a lot you know there still isn't a lot that speaks to dads so I just started writing about my early experiences of being a dad and here's what I'm finding in the experience so it's got its ups and downs this is more amazing than I thought and was just starting to, to 
to write from my own point of view to try and encourage other dads uh, as well to share their voices. Uh, and in a big sort of way, that's what the book is, you know, partly about, about expanding the conversation around fatherhood um, and getting dads being more comfortable being uh, sharing of their stories of how they're finding parenting, the ups and downs and how they're trying to be active in their kids' lives and to more uh, actively include dads in the parenting discussions. Uh, and so it is kind of, you know, I look back to 10 or 15 years to think of myself doing this sort of right advocacy, it would have like knocked the socks off me if I could go back in time and talk to a younger version of myself. I think if we could go back in time and talk to a younger version of ourselves, we'd all have something interesting to say. But I really, you know, that journey you've been on and those experiences that you've had, you know, is something that really stood out for me in that in the process of creating the documentary series. You know, I started that series from a female's perspective and with my lived experience uh, and I have two children myself as well so I have been through that that process and journey or I'm still going through that journey. So my focus was very much about, oh, we need to get more opportunities for women in the workplace. But at, the more I had this conversation, the more clear it came to me that, it's a balance. It's this counterbalance of actually creating opportunities for both men and women in the workplace and in the home that to me are so interlocked that we just can't have these conversations separately anymore. It's not just about creating more opportunities for women in the workplace. Sure, we need more women on boards and we need more women in senior leadership. But to enable that, we need more men at home and more men that don't feel like they're not achieving as a man because they're not providing, they're not the breadwinner. Like we've moved beyond that, but we haven't, you know, in those home and in our cultural expectations and the judgments that get placed on both men and women. And it's felt by both. Now, obviously my experiences as a woman, but for you, you felt those judgments as well because you did decide to, to stay home and have that more proactive role with your children. So what was that experience for you like as a man? Uh, look, on the whole, it was wonderful. Uh, I would happily take, you know, paid parental leave again in a heartbeat and I wish I could have taken more time, you know. So I took three months paid parental leave for both my kids, both when they were about nine months each. And so I had them till I turned about one and it was, it was wonderful. And yeah, if I could have doubled that, I would have happily. And I know a couple of dads are doing for six to 12 months parental leave and I'm very envious of it. So on the whole, it was wonderful. Look, I felt like I was pretty immersed in both my kids' lives before parental leave, but it's just, there's nothing quite compares. You know, after three, four months of being with them day in, day out, you know, your rapport, your relationship with them is so much deeper and, and, and more special. You have your idiosyncratic um, things that you do with one another, you know, the, the little sort of jokes you share with with one another and that sort of, the dialogue you have even with young babies and I really noticed it in particular with my son second time round. you know he was quite he was as a little baby he was quite sick he slept quite badly and he had he had feeding problems so he was often on mum to soothe uh, but after three months of us being together one-on-one you know our, our bond was so much stronger and for a long while afterwards, probably for a good six to nine months after I finished parental leave, I was still sort of the default carer he came to for all sorts of problems or when he wanted to be fed or changed or settled, it sort of came to me. So it was another sort of great indicator that it was time well spent. From a sort of a social point of view, yeah, it's still really hard for men. I think the whole journey of thinking about parental leave, having the conversations at work, taking it, being on leave and coming back, 
it's a fairly awkward, clunky journey for a lot of men. You know, I think it involves some sort of, yeah, awkward and, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations at work about why do you want to do this? And you've normally got to convince a few colleagues or a manager about why you as a man want to do this. In my case, too, it involved, you know, a bit of educating a family about why this is important to me and important to my wife, Julia. I didn't have a lot of other friends or dad friends that were on parental leave. So that part can be quite lonely. You know, I spent the those three months with my both my babies. It was really just us one-on-one. You know, I occasionally be able to plan something with friends and catch up with them, but it was really us going to the parks and the play centers and doing the things together. But yeah, after a couple of months, it can feel a bit isolating and that's something I'd love to see us as a community work on you know there are a smattering of dads groups but they are a drop in the ocean compared to how many other uh, parents groups are out there Um, that's a big challenge and I think resettling back into the workforce it was much better for me second time around I think I came in with eyes wide open first time I probably had looking back a naive set of expectations on how that would run uh, I kind of assumed him it would mean a reduction in workload. It, it didn't. Um, that's just not what happens when you go to part-time work. As ever, you know, a lot of working mums know, <laughs> it's a full-time yeah. workload being done with part of the time and part of the money. So I wasn't prepared for that. And the big thing I really wasn't prepared for is what happens to your working week when one of your kids gets sick or you get the daycare bug. And that was a real tailspin. So there was a good six or nine months when my daughter was first going to daycare where she had that classic experience of picking up all the bugs, bringing them home, where there was lots of time missed at work, which made an already delicate work balance even that much harder as you're taking leave. And, and, you know, I found myself when I came back from leave in that classic situation of feeling I was failing on both fronts, that I was scrambling as a parent trying to take care of my kids and I was failing as a worker. Um, and I think a lot of parents can probably relate to that. Yes. And see, I call it mother's guilt, but this is part of the language we need to change because it's parenting guilt, isn't it? You know, it's, and it's interesting because as you're talking, having those conversations, the feeling of isolation, the challenge of the juggle, the going through the childcare sickness, so many conversations that I have had with other mothers. And it's exactly the same conversation. And I would just love to be able to see and experience more of having that conversation with mothers and fathers, because it's not a gendered role. Obviously, there's a a portion of having babies that has gender requirements. But outside of that, you know, we're really needing to look at opening up how we can make this more accessible, you know. And so for you, you've then written the book, Man Raises Boy. Is What was the goal and aim around releasing that book? The aim of the book was really to expand the conversation around fatherhood and what it takes or what it means to be an active father these days and age and to show men there are lots more opportunities to shape the way they run their work life and their family life and to be a hands-on carer. That was really the first half of the book was all around trying to encourage men to think more deliberately around the choices they make around being a father. And the second half of the book is really, again, to think around the choices they make and the role modeling they do for young boys. And, you know, to have a conversation about how we help raise young boys into good men. Um, You know, we still have this sort of community trope around the real man, like the tough man or the stoic man. Uh, something that we've inherited from, you know, generations ahead of us. Uh, and so it's really about exploring the choices dads can make to help role model a different type of masculinity to show their sons 
again, a bigger array of what it takes to be a man, you know, and in this case in fathering, you know, to me, one of the fundamental aspects of being a man or being a father is caring, is being openly affectionate, loving and nurturing and raising children. So that's just one example of something we can show our boys is that to be a man means to care for your children, to be hands-on in, in that caring. That's just one aspect. So, and look, the book is very much written from the point of view of someone who's in the trenches, who is doing this, who is grappling with these challenges. You know, my kids are four and two. So there's not room from the, the point of view of someone who thinks he's got the answers. It's rather someone who's trying to find the answers uh, and is sharing information as I go. Mm, so opening up that conversation and dialogue for, for greater inclusion and, you know, a broader thinking. And it's interesting because I am the mother of two boys. Um, my eldest is 11 and so he's just going into that preteen sort of age and I'm like, ah, I don't know, teenage boys, what? So, you know, it's really interesting because you're looking at that perspective of how we bring up boys to become men that are nurturing and caring and kind and certainly something that I'm really conscious of and, you know, just want to add my part in that as well. So I think it's so interesting because the more we talk about our experiences, I think the more we realise there are these great crossovers um, and actual in our differences we're actually quite united in similarities as well. So on the other side of that though, what in your experience or through this journey have you sort of seen or heard about that is really those barriers to this gender equality, particularly from a parenting perspective, which is the focus you're looking at? You know, what, what are these barriers and you know because we have been having these sorts of conversations i think we have made progress but it does seem to be slow yeah oh yeah it's, it's hugely slow um and i think this is um one of the most interesting questions at the moment particularly with everything that was seen through the pandemic and, and working from home you know there's a lot of good survey work that shows that young fathers or, or soon-to-be fathers really want to be actively involved with their kids they want to work life balance you know there's survey work that shows that a proportion of dads would consider leaving an organisation if they didn't think it would be particularly family-friendly. So some of that attitude has shifted, and this is a current generation we've seen a lot of dads who want to be hands-on. Yeah, but the big rub is the systems. Um, and will the, our systems allow those attitudes to flourish or will they kind of try and squash those attitudes? And that's where I think some of the big barriers are now. You know, we look at the public parental leave that is open to dads. It's next to nothing. There's a dad and partner pay through Centrelink, uh, but it's two weeks and it's at minimum wage. I think that to me sends a huge signal to dads everywhere that the best way to be a dad is to work. You know, you have a couple of days or a couple of weeks with your baby and then go back to the workforce. So we don't have a very good public scheme. It doesn't really support dads. We've seen pockets of progress in particular industries in the private sector that have some great pay parental leave schemes for dads, but they're still sort of the exception to the rule. About half of all workplaces in Australia don't have pay parental leave. They don't have those supports there for dad. A lot of the parental leave policies as they're written are really written for working mums. Um, that's where... The, um, the policies have tended to be in the past that they haven't really been updated and you have a classic situation sometimes where you might have more gender neutral policies on paper but when dads go to inquire about them they're kind of told well it's not really for the dads that's really for the mums or if you're going to take it as a dad you're kind of white waving the white flag on your career so we sort of even if you sort of have the policies in place sometimes the cultural attitudes within a workplace might stop a dad from taking leave you know i think this to me is a really big one um, because you know 
as we've been talking about already, if dads can take parental leave, have that time at home, have time to just be with their kids, to appreciate those fleeting moments when they're young, to to be caring, and also just to sharpen their parenting skills. I mean, it's a skill set, right? And it really can set them up for the rest of their kids' lives and it can show them that they can achieve a different balance uh, between work and family. If they're constantly precluded or prevented from taking that leave, they're not going to know what they're missing out on. It's also a great one because it's something that is solvable. Like we can have better paid parental leave policies that are gender neutral and allow just as many dads to take it as mums. Absolutely. And I think it's great that, you know, progress has been made about having um, paid parental programs in some workplaces. And yes, the focus may have been on supporting women. And that was a good step to keep women in the workforce, regardless of whether they had children. Great. So now it's just, okay, let's take that a step further. And because for me, then I see the direct flow on it's, you know, two sides of the same coin. We want to keep more women in senior management. Well, they can't be doing both. They can't be getting into senior management and be the prime, you know, the primary carer or the, the most responsible parent. Cause I know you don't like the term primary carer. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Oh, look, I, I think it's, again, it's a label that we take for granted and we think makes sense. And then when you stop and think about it, you go, hang on, what do we mean by primary carer? You know, in a lot of households, there are two parents. They are both co-pilots in the parenting journey. They're both carers. So why are we making this label about primary carer? And really the the term primary carer, you know, it influences so much of how paid parental policies are written because in a lot of policies, um, you'll have this stipulation that both parents can't be home at the same time when one of them is taking paid parental leave because only one of them can be the primary carer. So firstly, why? I mean, who cares if there are two parents home or not. That's surely that's up to the family. If if there's one employee like legitimately accessing their parental leave policies, who cares if their partner's at home? Like it's not, it doesn't matter. In fact, it's better. And as we all know, it takes a village, you know, and new parents were starting out and finding their feet and dealing with, with young babies or toddlers. Why can't they both be home at the same time if they're getting supportive parental leave arrangements? So I think it sort of, it really blocks making better policies. And it just, again, it sort of, reinforces this mindset that there can only be one parent at a time and that it really we read into that that it's really the mum is the primary carer and dad's the, the sidekick. So I'd like to just to talk about carers or just parents, you know, yeah. and sort of drop the labels around um, the gendered labels. And yeah, look, and to your point, Amelia, I think it helps mums as much as well. You know, they're, you know, they can focus on their careers um, just as much as men. And then that's one of the things my, my wife, Julia, often says to me is one of the things she is appreciative of me taking parental leave is she could just fully focus on getting back to work. You know, she'd had 10 months out of the workforce. She was feeling a bit jittery about going back both times and what she'd missed out on because I was home all that time. She didn't have to worry about the home front. She knew that was being taken care of and she could just focus on getting her feet back under the desk and you know, it made a huge difference for her. Mm, and that's brilliant. And what a great difference that is. And that's teamwork, you know, and that's that's family. So that is really acting as a unit. So what then would you, be your top tips for dads who might be listening and going, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind getting more engaged in my family, but, you know, these barriers and the cultural stereotypes have sort of prohibited them from really opening their mind to thinking about that. What tips would you give them? I think the first one is is be brave. Like it, it does take, I think, for men a little bit at the moment to, to stick your neck out and be willing to go against the sort of the cultural expectations or trends around male breadwinner 
because you're not going to regret it. You know, I, the way I see it and the way I saw it when I took parental leave is I'm going to be working till I'm 70 or 80, you know, I've got 30 or 40 years left of work. There's plenty of time to chase promotions and big projects and all the rest of it. But there's only going to be a fleeting few months or moments when my kids are young, when I'm going to be able to get to know them, to have that special sort of time just to build a relationship with them. So don't miss out on it. So if you're still, you know, if you're expecting a baby or you're about to start a family, you know, really think hard around, you know, what what matters at this point in time in life. You know, work's always going to be there. There's always going to be demands from work, but, you know, your kids are only going to be really young once and you don't really want to have to miss out on it. Uh, I think the other thing for, for, for men is we have the advantage of using the pregnancy to just set up our lives for what happens when kids come along. So you can have those conversations with managers and coworkers and you can sort out what life's going to look like for you once you have a baby. You know, you can use all those months leading up to the birth uh, to look at parental leave policies, to set up, you know, flexible work or job sharing arrangements or whatever it is. Um, so use those months wisely to not only sort of get the room painted and get the, you know, the crib and the car seat and all that, but actually set up your work life so that when craziness does hit and life is turned upside down with, with kids, you've kind of built yourself some space and some, some new boundaries around work. Um, I guess my last one is that it's never too late. You know, I've talked to dads that are young dads, old dads, granddads, you know, and one, one of the things I've picked up in all my discussions with these different men is that it is never too late. You know, if your kid's one or 11 or 21, there's always a chance to really get immersed in their life and just be really active and involved. Um, and for a lot of older men, you know, like I think of my dad too, uh, he was the classic male breadwinner. He worked a lot. He traveled a lot when I was young, but now he's got grandkids. So he's got a second chance. And I think it's the same for a lot of older men is even if maybe you, you weren't able to be around as much when your kids were young. Well, if you've got grandkids and you've got another whole crack at it and you can be there and you can sort of make up for some lost time, if you will. And I think that's a really important point too. Oh, fantastic. Rob, I have loved this conversation and all these tips. I want to get you to conclude though with your be the drop tip, which is based on the fact that be the drop is based on a saying that I love, which is a waterfall begins with one drop. So that's around how we can communicate in a way to motivate and inspire others. So what would be Rob's be the drop tip? I think the drop for me would be talk as a dad, talk openly about your experiences of fathering. It sounds kind of basic and, and mundane, but I think too many dads uh, parent in isolation. I don't think there's open with sharing their experiences of fathering. I think the more that men open up about their emotional experiences of fathering and show other men that they're not alone, that they're allowed, that they have similar feelings and similar stresses of being a parent, I think that actually will help change the identity of men as being just breadwinners and we'll think more about men as carers if we're hearing men talking about their children their experiences of being parents uh, i think it makes a huge difference and that's one thing i'm really appreciative of with zoom is with so many men working from home the last few months their kids have been much more physically present for co-workers in their lives and i think even those little things they do make that ripple uh, where we start not just seeing men as the guy with the tie at the office, but we like we see his family life and it becomes more visible and, and, and centred. And I think that's a really important thing as well. What great advice. And from my perspective, certainly, going through those the years when my children were babies, having other people, which in my experience was other women, to share those stories, to go, oh, I'm not in this alone made a huge difference. Sharing that experience with someone else 
always made made it feel better for me and made me think, oh, okay, it's not just me. I'm not a terrible mum. You know, I'm not. It's, I'm not making a mistake. It's just a challenge. It's a difficult process. Absolutely, yeah. and I think that's for the same with dads. If dad, if other dads can see, oh right, so um, my mate's taking parental leave, or he's going to work flexibly or part time. Like I didn't realize we could we could do that, or we almost that we had permission to do that. I think that will really start opening up some doors. Yeah, I think, and that's it. Give yourself permission. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be the Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.